Thank you, Rachel. I really appreciate it. There are so many people around here who are very gifted in their willingness to use their gifts for the Lord. And we've seen quite a bit of that just as the services unfolded this morning. Um, for example, a lot of us don't know that Jimmy came up here like 3.30 in the morning to cut the heater on so we wouldn't be freezing in the baptismal pool to heat up the baptism. People do stuff. And, you know, as I look at Jimmy helping over here and Tammy helping over there, there's a lot of service that happens. It doesn't get broadcast or, or publicized, but it's just servants' hearts. And when Christ is at work, people are willing to serve. And so anyway, I'm just grateful for you, church body. I do want to make one announcement before I get in the message here. I, um, next Sunday at 5 o'clock, the representative from Faith in Action called me. And they've asked all the churches that are interested at 5 o'clock to go down to Veterans Park, um, you know, that's down there near State Street, and to join in prayer for our country. I think they're trying to involve, I think, as many churches as possible. So if you have a heart for our nation, it's not a political rally. It's a time to pray for the United States. And so I encourage you to... It, it'll just be half an hour. It'll be 5 to 5.30, so... Um, I have time to come back here to worship at night. Right, we're dealing with a new series on handling life's problems. Today, I want to look at the issue of the clergy-laity gap. The idea of the preacher being here and people being here. And there not to be a connection. And we're going to look from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 to the letter at Thessalonica. I want to look at the first 12 verses of chapter 2 as Paul shares the heart of a pastor. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, ask when you find that standing God's honor. As we look at the first 12 verses of chapter 2. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the pill we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed God is our witness we were not looking for praise from men not from you or anyone else as apostles of Christ we could have been a burden to you but we were gentle among you like mother caring for her children we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you 
to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Master, here we are again, Lord. You are the real audience, God. And we have gathered to worship you. Lord, we want you to receive the attention. We want you to receive the glory. It's not about anybody in this building except Jesus. And, and in this time we've set aside, we want that to be our heartbeat, Lord. And I just pray you speak to us, God, as we look at how we're in this thing together. Lord. And uh, we're all working toward you. And I just pray that you might speak through me. Uh, may we hear way beyond what I'm able to say. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to share. Hearts, we invite you to hear. And may we just say yes to the call of Jesus, whatever that may be this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. As I thought about the pastor laity gap, I thought of an experience I had years ago when uh, we had just moved into a house in Quinton, Virginia. And I like to play volleyball. And I found out in the bottom of the neighborhood that uh, half a dozen houses below me, they were playing volleyball. They had set up a net in between some houses, and there were a bunch of guys down there. So I went down there and met my new neighbors, and we played volleyball for probably three hours. We had a blast. And it was on a Saturday. We played and played. And we were chumming, you know. It was a bunch of guys, you know, having the male bonding, rah, rah, right? And so anyway, they're like, can you play tomorrow? Can you play tomorrow? And I said, well, I, I can't play early. I can play in the afternoon. Why not? I said, well, I've got to work. I, I can't, can't, you know, I'm trying not to say, hey, I'm a preacher, you know. And scare them off before I get a chance to really, you know, kind of get to know them. And, and, and so they're sitting there like, okay, okay, all right, man. We've really enjoyed playing. Yeah, me too. About that time, uh, the guy starts talking about, yeah, we're going to get a keg of beer. We're going to party. And I'm like, oh, great, yeah. And, yeah, we're going to live it up. And, and about the time the guy's wife comes out, and he starts saying some things that weren't appropriate. Some stuff, you know, and, and I'm like, okay. The deal was, what this guy didn't know, I had met his wife earlier, a few days earlier, and she knew I was a preacher. <laughs> and so, while he's going, yeah, you know, she walks over to him and whispers something in his ear. And, you know, all the blood just drains from the guy's face, you know. I'm thinking, poor guy, you know. I knew what had happened. And so some of the guys said, are you sure you can't play in the morning? And this guy, he spouts back and he says, no, he can't play. He's a preacher, stupid. You know what's sad? I never played volleyball with him again. It, it, you know, it so kind of embarrassed everybody. I guess on the good side, they understood that, you know, a, a, a preacher set aside by God, that there needs to be uh, convictions and that there needs to be standards and, and there needs to be a heart for God. The bad news is, I never meant to be in a position where I couldn't talk to my neighbors. I couldn't connect with them. But see, that not only happens among the, the people without Jesus, I'm afraid that kind of stuff to a degree happens in church. 
You know what happens in churches? We, we look at preachers and we look at missionaries and we say, oh man, look at them. They've got the call of God on their lives. <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're so much stronger in the Lord than I am. And, and there's this disconnect that happens. I remember when I became a Christian, the, the church that I came to Christ at, and uh, the preacher there, wonderful man of God, uh, a very... Uh, a very gifted preacher. Uh, his thing, though, he wasn't an extrovert. He was more of an introvert. So he was a little harder to talk to outside of the pulpit. And so I never really got to know him. And, you know, I'm kind of going around talking to everybody, and I'm like, you know, why aren't you talking to me? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing going on. And then, and, and, and uh, then I remember this guy was into dressing snazzy. Man, he would wear these expensive suits, and his hair was slicked back. And I mean, you know, it almost looked like he could go up there and break it off. Because, I mean, you know, it was just perfect. And he had on, some of you older, older people understand this, the old Star Trek and Captain Kirk had the boots. You know, the halfway boots that came up. He wore something like that. And, you know, I thought to myself, you know, he's a great man of God. But if this is what it means to be a preacher, I couldn't do it. And I'll never forget, because I was dealing with the idea of, of vocational ministry, God calling me to something. But I didn't really know where I was going, man. And, and there was another guy that was a minister of education. And I thought, well, maybe I'm going that way. But anyway, I felt God calling me to come before the church to make that commitment that God is calling me to a vocational ministry. And so I came to the front. I'll never forget it. My pastor, you know, he's there to meet me. He prays with Why are you up here, Todd? He prays with me. And uh, then he tells the people, he says, God has called Todd to preach. And I look back at him, like, well, he's talking to you and not to me, I'm thinking. You know, what is this about? Well, look who got the last laugh, you know. Here I am, I'm a preacher, right? Uh, but there was that disconnect that happened. I thought, God, I, I can't do it that way. I can't be like him. Uh, but as we look at the Scripture this morning, I want you to see God's not about you being like a, a certain personality. It's not about that. We're going to look at six areas, what it means to be a pastor and what it means for the people of God to work together and connect. First one here I want you to see uh, is that uh, his urging was based on truth, not deceit, his call, his ministry. Uh, verse 3, he says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. He says, On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God. Um, the word appeal there means to come along beside. And the appeal he was making, he's saying, Guys, it wasn't just what I said from the pulpit. It wasn't just me preaching. It was my life with you. You see who I am. You know me. We worked together. We worked side by side. We connected together. Not just through opening the Word of God and, and dealing with it, but in loving Jesus together. We worked side by side. You know my heart. And, and he says, you know that what I say to you, it's the truth in me. It's not just something I speak to you. It's something in me. and something that is to be in God's people shared together. I love this. First time I heard this quote, I want to share with you. Um, it was a guy named Guy Dow, Teacher of the Year, I heard on Focus on Family years ago. And he shared, and 
is a well-known poem, but I had never heard it before. Uh, and it's called, I'd Rather See a Sermon. I'm sure many of you have heard this, but I just love this because it talks about how important it is to live it. Uh, it says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes of better people and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example's always clear. <laughs> and the best of all preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good put in action is what everybody needs. <laughs> I soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you in the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. See, this is what Paul was saying, and I think it needs to be true. It needs to move from the pulpit to the person. It needs to be real. Secondly, the message that he shared, his heart, his life, his words, were to glorify God, not to become a celebrity and to lift him up. Look at the next uh, section of Scripture, verse 4 through the first part of verse 6. He says, On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God's our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, man, my heartbeat is to lift up Jesus. He's the one who takes center stage, not me. Sometimes I look around us and, you know, and maybe pastors can't help it. They're just so gifted. But they tend to become celebrities. And they get these big followings. These people that are very gifted. And people start identifying Jesus with that celebrity, that person, that gifted one. And Paul said, I don't want that ever to happen. <laughs> I, I want my message to, to point to God. And, and, and you know, he said, I want to make it clear that what I do is not give you a new message, but I simply preach what God has shown me. God has called me, and, and my idea is not to give you a new message, it's to take this message, and with the power of the Holy Spirit to share it, so that God makes it come alive, and, and makes it clear, and, 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 and so that we're able to hear from Him. Because it's about God being at work, it's not about me working, it's not about you working, it's about God working within us for His calls. Remember the old book, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby? I've got a couple of old quotes in here I want to share with you that just beautifully describes that. I think what Paul's saying here is God was glorifying Himself. Jesus was showing off in me. Not me showing off, showing off in me to bring Him glory. Uh, Blackaby says, You never find God asking persons to dream up what they want to do for Him. Without doubt, the most important factor in each biblical situation was not what the individual wanted to do for God. The most important factor was what God was about to do. God reveals His purposes, His tasks, so you'll know what He plans to do. When God came to Noah, He did not ask, What do you want to do for me? He came to reveal what He was about to do. It was far more important to know what God was about to do. It really did not matter what Noah had planned to do for God. God was about to destroy the world. 
He wanted to work through Noah to accomplish his purposes of saving a remnant of people and animals to repopulate the earth. So Paul's heartbeat said, it's not about me coming up with some plan to follow God. It's about me getting in line with God's plan. It's, it's not about God listening to me. It's about me listening to God. It, it's not about me having a to-do list. It's about me getting on God's to-do list. It's about having a vibrant, living, real relationship with the living God that is humble, where I'm willing to listen and to hear Him. And that was Paul's heart. That was Paul's heart. Next one. His ministry was one of tenderness, not one of force. He says, Even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority, instead we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, and we cared... You. He says here, you know, God called me. I have a right to, to have my way and to push through the truth, but, but that's not how I operate. God has called me to work with you and to love you, not to force you, not to beat you down, but to lead by example and do it together. That's, that's what he was saying. And, you know, no more beautiful picture than a mother nursing her, her newborn. Uh, just that gentle picture of. I, I, I want you to get closer to Jesus. I want to give you the Word. And, and I, I, I want it to be at work. I want you to, to, to know God's heart. That's how He works. I heard about a, a pastor had taken uh, some people on a trip to the Holy Land. And while he was there, he preached on the Good Shepherd. Talked about the fact how, the good sh how a shepherd over there is careful to guide and lead the sheep. And the sheep follow because they love the shepherd and they trust the shepherd. So he's in front, gently leading. So anyway, he's talking to these people about this. He said, you'll see shepherds all around here and how they'll gently lead and, and how they'll be loving to the sheep. They hadn't gone too far until <laughs> they saw a guy with a bunch of sheep, but he wasn't leading in the front. He was leading in the back. And he appeared to be chasing them. And, and so he, you know, he, comes, he gets the guy's attention. He said, hey, you know, I'd heard that shepherds over here, they gently lead the sheep, and, and, and you look like you're chasing them. And he said, this doesn't seem right. I'd always heard that's not how shepherds operate here. And he said, well, that's true. I'm not a shepherd. I'm a butcher. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Paul was saying, you know, my job is not to chase you. My job is to gently lead you to Jesus. That's his heart. All right, next one here. I know time's going by on me. He shared his life not just his words. It says, So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's verse 8. Our lives as well. Um, hmm. He's saying, I want to be connected to you guys. I don't want to come up on a Sunday morning and preach a message and walk away and that's it. That's not the Christian life. That's not church. That's going to church. That's not being at the church. God wants a lot more. He wants us to be connected. He wants that tenderness. He wants you to see that, that, that I'm real. And I'm not just playing church, you know. That, that's so critical. I'll give you an example here with this. I, I know we're already about the other time. But that pastor I talked to you about, my first pastor with the hair that looks like it's about to break and, and the Captain Kirk boots. and can't always help but think of you, Thomas, I say Captain Kirk. But anyway, 
Um, I saw a different side of this pastor when my dad died. We didn't live in my hometown by this time, and dad died, and, and Cindy and I came back and saw some friends, and we decided we were going to sing a song at my dad's funeral. And we wanted to sing the Scott Wesley Brown song, so we got, uh, anyway, we got the songbook, and we went in my church growing up, and I went into the sanctuary, Cindy and I did, and she sat down at the piano, and we were going through the song. And my pastor of my home church came in. And when he did, he really didn't say anything. He walked through the door, he saw me, and he came up to me, and he hugged me and started to weep. And he said, I am so sorry. At that moment, he went from being my preacher to being my pastor. I hadn't seen that. I needed to see it. I wasn't being fair to him. I needed to change. I was able to see that, guys. That's what Paul said. Um, there should be that kind of connect. All right. Uh, his labor was based on dedication, not financial compensation. Look at verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Paul said, this is not about how much pay I'm getting. This is about God's call. Uh, this, is, this is about the fact I'm where God wants me. And I'm doing what he's asking me to do. Richard DeHaan, who's the guy that's the editor of uh, Daily Bread. Oh, most of us have read Daily Bread. Uh, he, he did this little booklet one time. Um, and the booklet's called Men Sent from God. And he, he lists about some of the challenges in a lot of churches for pastors. And this is kind of funny, but tongue-in-cheek. But yeah, You'll get the point as I read it. If the pastor's young, they say he lacks experience. If his hair is gray, then he's too old for the young people. If he has five or six children, he's irresponsible. If he has no children, he's setting a bad example. If he preaches from his notes, he's, he has canned sermons in his drive. If his message are extemporaneous, he's not studied. He's not deep. If he is attentive to the poor in the church, then he's playing to the grandstand. If he pays attention to the wealthy, he's trying to be an aristocrat. If he uses too many illustrations, he's neglecting the Bible. If he doesn't use enough stories, he isn't clear. If he condemns wrongs, he's cranky. If he doesn't preach against sin, he's a compromiser. If he preaches the truth, he's offensive. If he doesn't preach the truth, he's a hypocrite. If he fails to please everybody, he's hurting the church image. He ought to leave. If he does please everybody, he has no conviction. If he drives an old car, then he shames the congregation. If he drives a new car, he sets his affections on earthly things. If he preaches all the time, the people get tired of hearing the same man. If he invites guest speakers, he shirks his responsibility. If he makes a large salary, he's mercenary. If he makes a small salary, they say, well, it just proves he's not worth much anyway. How do you win? But anyway, the whole point, he said, my call is from God. It's not about the rest of it. Not that I want people not to like me, but it's about God. Last one here. Uh, your witnesses, and so is God. Look at verse 10. 
your witnesses, so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each other as a father deals with his own children. His example was positive and encouraging. It wasn't negative and draining. He wanted to build up the body, uh, not tear the body down. It wasn't he didn't want to deal with sin. He just wanted to know that he loves the people who sin. I close with uh, one of my favorite examples about what it means to do church together. This idea of here's the preacher and here's the people. What's it supposed to be like? Well, a young preacher, story goes, a young preacher came to an older preacher and he said, uh, getting started, I need some advice. What does it mean to pastor a church? Tell me about the challenges. Tell me what I need to learn. Give me some insight. And the older pastor said, well, I went through three phases in my ministry. First phase, I had just come out of seminary. I was ready to attack hell with a squirt gun. I had a uh, probably much too high opinion of, of my preaching and my abilities. and Ready to charge. He said, and my picture of church was the congregation, they were out in the water. And they had gone down and come up. <laughs> and they had gone down and come up. And they're going down for a third time and they're going to drown. And they need me to get them out. And so i got to preach them out before they drown. He said, a couple years later, though, he said, my concept changed. He said, now the picture I had was they're still in the water and they're still struggling, but now I had one foot on dry land and one foot in the water and I got my hand down there and I'm preaching, buddy. I'm letting it fly. And I've got my hand down saying, let me help you out of the water. He said, this went on for quite a while. But he said, finally, near the end of my ministry, I got the picture I have now. And he said, what it is, um, people are still in the water, but I'm in the water too. And the people are holding me up, but underneath are the everlasting arms of God holding us all up. That's what it is. It's the everlasting arms of God that holds me up, that holds you up, and together to share the gospel and the good news that God loves people. He, he doesn't want to see them go to hell. He doesn't want to see them suffer. That's not His heart. But because of sin, He had to send a Savior. And, and, and that's what our message is all about. We're not all hung up on the sin. We're hung up on the fact you need a Savior. That's what it is. And we do that together. That's not just my job. It's our job. It's not just a matter of me holding you up. It's a matter of us holding one another up. Not just you holding me up. He's holding us all up. But we're doing it together. We're fulfilling that call together. And, and the gap's not meant to be there. It's, it's not that God hasn't called me to, to show leadership. Yes, He has. And, and I need to do that. And, that. and that's a call. But it's not to do alone. It's, it's, a, it's a mission that He's given us, guys. And, and the problem arises when we, somehow we get the idea that it's not all of us it's all of us he's all gifted us in different ways for that common purpose that common job and, and that's when church begins to get exciting <laughs> is when all of us begin to give that underneath are the everlasting arms of God holding us up 
And, and as you hold me up and I'm able to share the word, he's really holding us all up and there's work going on. That's what it's about. But let's pray. Lord, uh, it's been a good day, God. So grateful to baptize and untie Lord. What a blessing, God. Thank you, Father, for and his uncle being willing to be here and to talk about you. Thank you for this church family, God. Lord, if it wasn't for you, we would be without hope. If you were not resurrected, Jesus, quite honestly, there'd be no reason to be here. That you are alive. We're in this thing together. I don't just stand up here and, and try to say some words that, that people want to hear. This is your, your words, God. This is your message. This is your mission. This is a hope that extends to everybody. So, Lord, I just pray you do a work in us at Kingsway. Where, Father, may it be said around here, we don't play church, we are the church. Do that, God. I, I, I ask you for that because you're, you're a God who's a jealous God and you want the glory and, and, and I want you to have it. And so our prayer is that, Lord, you may get it from us, God. As that happens, I believe people will be saved and I believe we'll grow together. And I believe, Lord, you'll be honored. That's what it's about. Thank you for Paul, his example. Thank you, Lord, that that's not just something that happened centuries ago. It's something you want to be happening now. Do your work, Lord. Uh, Father, maybe you want someone to come up and pray at the altar. Maybe someone needs to come and trust Jesus Christ for salvation, for forgiveness. Maybe there's something going on and it's time to uh, give it to you and uh, seek your forgiveness. And, and maybe tell the body of Christ, maybe not, I don't know. But I just want you to work, God. And I want to get out of your way. So I'm about to quit talking. But as we stand, as we sing, Father, may you speak and may we say yes to whatever you say. In your name we pray. Amen.